0: Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford, and I'm coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And it's a great day to be in service of our Heavenly Father. I suggested in the blurb for this broadcast that Perhaps people are searching for some measure of meaning and some measure of direction during these really climactic days in which we're living, and they are very peculiar days. I want to assure you that God is in control, that he certainly understands the scenarios that The world and uh, the forces of darkness are trying to bring about. These are things that are a part of the overall prophetic viewpoint of what the scripture foretells. It's not that God is causing these things, it's that. They are are happening because of what people in their iniquities want to do. It's because of bad choices that people have made. It's because of the the warfare, the spiritual warfare that is happening um, around us, even though Most people in the world don't recognize that there is an enemy and that he is trying to manipulate world events so that uh, what God the Father wants can never happen. All of these are factors and we we are going very quickly into the time that is very clearly depicted in the scripture. For the end. And that sounds like a doom and gloom thing, but uh, is not intended to be that way. I have no motive in saying that. I'm not putting out some kind of a of a of a doom and gloom scenario to try to force you to or or coerce you to give money or to to do any other thing that might be manipulated by such a a statement and and secondly for those of you who know me and know our church we're not a doom and gloom place we don't we, we love to we love to laugh we love to rejoice in the Lord we we have Uh, We have understood the purpose that God has laid out for us, as well as for uh, the saints' network that we have been joined together with across the world. So, it's not in my nature to want to comment upon wickedness. But then again, when God says that we are going to have his light shine on us. We all want to hear shine on us. We all like to hear that. That's, that's shouting words. That's, that's dancing words before the Lord. But we, we don't really want to look at the darkness and the gross darkness. That is the scenario in which that light shines. And sometimes we as Christians can be confused Sometimes we can see things happening, and it's it's so grievous that it's it's difficult to comprehend it's difficult to to gain a rational understanding because sometimes there is there is no way that you can explain something other than to say that um wickedness abounds and I, I think that this climate that we have been enduring over the past several years particularly can be draining upon any person. The climate itself, the things that we face in our natural lives uh, are are in so many ways daunting. And so you, you first of all deal with the ramification of the spiritual atmosphere and events that are happening that affect you and things that you see that you're not imagining them. It's not hype, but things that you see that are actually happening in the world. You feel the burden of the Lord. You feel that measure of, um, intercessory compulsion to be praying about things in the mysteries of God, which is what the scripture says happens when you pray in the spirit. Um, but those mysteries the thing about a mystery is that it's a mystery <laughs> that's profound isn't it you you don't know the solution you are simply interceding with god on behalf of something that is evolving according to what he has uh, said needs to happen see so often we want god just to snap his large fingers and make badness go away. You know, and I, I think I'd say, you know, nature proclaims the glory of God. What things have happened in your life that have had merit? Things that you are really grateful. You look at them not from a sense of pride, but you just, you think, wow, look at that. I'm, I'm really grateful that that came into my life. Which of those things didn't cost you something? You know, I can think of scenarios that we've had to go through here at our church, things that I've had to go through personally. The end result is fulfilling. It's wonderful. And you you give praise to God for, for allowing you to enjoy such a victory or such an accomplishment through him. But getting there, the sila, that middle ground from promise to the eventual fulfillment, which is great, sometimes pretty nasty. And this is just the way God does things. There's always a partnership. There's always a journey. There's always a valley that you must cross with him between the giving of the promise or the, the, uh, the understanding of the objective and what is uh, the end result that you anticipate. and So we look at things that are happening in the world and, and it's disgusting in some ways, in many ways. And the human mind would say, well, why? Why is this happening? Well, I I can't explain why we've had to go through things we've had to go through. But for the joy set before us, we endure them and we walk with God through those challenging moments into his fulfillment. In a large scale, in an eternal scale, we are in such a moment before God. So we have to keep that in our thinking. We we cannot be discouraged and give up or abandon his purpose. You know, this is what Jesus said when he came into the garden of Gethsemane. We're in this Easter season, and um, some churches are experiencing what they call Lent right now. Uh, I read a it would almost be comical if it wasn't so true for what our society's enduring there's a church in chicago this was just in the news that in their lent celebration is fasting whiteness now that's a topic all on its own but i think that i think that if we're really going to want to serve the lord we would be better off waiting on him for what he's trying to accomplish in the world and in our lives and stop trying to solve social the social flavor of the day uh, as we're approaching the cross of Christ and to celebrate his victory there. But be that as it may, um, when Jesus came into the Garden of Gethsemane <clears throat> and he fell on his face and he cried out, Abba, Father. That wasn't, as some suppose, him saying, Daddy, please get me out of this. If you for one minute think that our fully Son of Man, Son of God, Savior, resorted to such infantile tactics, I don't know what kind of a God you think you serve. Jesus knew he was coming to die. And he, he said in that passage in mark 14 you know if there's any other way let's find it but but i am committed abba to your essential purpose the initial core foundational understanding of what you want for mankind and for creation that's what abba means and to be so close to the father That you, above all things, want to fulfill the breath of his spirit at any cost. That's what Abba means, and that's why Jesus was praying it there. You know, give me an illustration, Pastor, of where this happened. Well, it's all through the word of God if you just want to see it. Abram was instructed to take Isaac to the top of a hill. And to sacrifice him there before God. That seems barbaric. Of course it does. There are all kinds of types and antitypes about the father giving his son. But when Abram did in obedience what God asked him to do, then God saw that and opened another avenue. It was about obedience and how much you're willing to surrender whether your life is whether you're willing to die to self that's that's what abram's picture with isaac was and it's what jesus was really re- referencing not just the abraham isaac scenario but what god looks at in general so many times god would ask his people for something and he would be looking upon their willingness, and their obedience. Uh, And then he would see that, and that was what was most important to him. That's a topic of its own. But um, for us today, we have to be willing to do what God wants done. And we need to be willing to say, Father, Abba, let your will be done. And You know, it's interesting then, too, this isn't our message for today, but, and we'll get to that in just a second from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3. He then says, with God, nothing will be impossible. All things are possible. All things are possible. That's only used in two other occasions in the New Testament, that phrase. One was in regard to a rich man's improbability of entering heaven, and a camel being able to go through the eye of the needle. Jesus said it there, and then it was also said when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and the man had the, the little boy, the boy who was demonized, and the phrase was used there. This, this speaks about the functionality of what God wants, because dunamis is the function of God's will. It's not just explosive or dynamic, but it is the explosiveness and the dynamic of God's will functioning. See, we have to view it that way. And so whether it's dealing with a demonic possession of, for that father, uh, a son that was not going to ever fulfill what, uh, what, would a would be a successful life or whether it's saying which is more important to you this world and its goods or coming through the miracle pathway of believing god which which is which is the way to heaven because god will let you be entered into that place of your heavenly identity if you're willing to surrender all to him. And so that's a that's a part of the Gethsemane story. But when you're in the midst of that kind of a challenge, the principle indicated by that challenge, sometimes you can become confused, sometimes you can become discouraged, Sometimes you can feel as if you should just abandon course and take an easier route. None of those things are going to cut it if you're really wanting to follow what God wants. And so we come with that as a backdrop to the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and this this passage that we're going to look at is one of the most misinterpreted passages in the scripture. Here it is. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, he was also called a seer, upon Shigionoth, O Lord, I have heard your speech, and I was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years, and in the midst of the years make known, in wrath... Remember, mercy. Wow, we've we've heard songs uh, that speak about in wrath. Remember, mercy. Uh, we've we've uh, talked about revival, revive your work, and we've talked about what the midst of the years means, and and these are these are good things to think about. But if we interpret all of those according to our own viewpoint, we're going to miss the entire directive that the prophet is speaking to us here. So if you have your Bible, if you have your Bible program, if if you can look at these individual words and the way we try to encourage our people to study is to utilize the resources that are readily available to all of us through the the marvel of computer programs or whatever bible study programs you get one with the strong's references so that you can pull up a passage of scripture and then click on a word Uh, we encourage our people to see what that word actually means by by virtue of the definition that is provided, but also to see how it is used throughout the Scripture by the, the eternal author, the Holy Spirit. And, and so we encourage you to do that. I'm going to help you out a little bit here today because if we look at the meaning of six different terms... We'll see what Habakkuk is saying, and really, what he's saying to us is: when you are in um, in a, a challenging moment, you got to remember what your strength is in God, what your source is in God, and you got to remember what He has said to you, and. You also have to remember that you're you're going through. You're, You're going through with him. What's happening right now is not the end. Right now, you are facing things that are required to face and to overcome. But the way you do that is not through arguing about it or not through protesting about it or not through getting a a petition of 500 prayers to help you so that you can get enough clout to break through. The way to do it is to follow the prescription that Habakkuk the seer, the only other book where Selah is mentioned besides the Psalms, What is the key that Habakkuk is giving us here in order for us to go from promise to fulfillment? So let's just look at these words. So when you see, O Lord Yahweh, the plan of God, um, revive your work, what, what Americans think about revive and revival is not really what God thinks. You know, when I was growing up in church, every summer we would have some kind of a revival meeting. And this is endemic to many of the churches in the United States who believe in the Bible. Throughout history, they would have revival meetings. Sometimes you'd hire a hired gun evangelists to come in, or there would be other types of pursuits that you would make. And basically what you were saying was, you know, Lord, there's a lot of our people that are who have abandoned what they should be doing and they need to come back to God. There are those of us who are just about give out, that's an old phrase, who are just worn out. We need to be encouraged to keep going. We need some kind of an experience or a burst from from momentum of a meeting or inspiration or a shock to our system, as it were, so that we can rise up again. Or maybe there would be people who don't know the Lord and they will come to one of these meetings and they'll give their life to Christ. Those are all noble things. Now, I have written and said that, at least the first two factors of what I just said are not really what God likes. He would prefer that his people continue to walk with him and that they would not abandon their purpose, they would not pursue other things, that they would not have to be put on life support once, once a year just so they could keep going. Um, and and the, the Americanized concept of what revival is, is, while there are noble aspects of it, uh, and, and we should not, you should hear me, I'm not saying that there should not be evangelical work. I'm not saying that there should not be meetings <clears throat> that reach out to the lost. I'm not saying that um, an outreach to those who don't know Jesus, that that we don't need that type of thing. So hear me. But the concept of revival, which is what this term says, revive us, is, is really somewhat skewed from what it originally should be. So what does revive mean here? It doesn't mean to resuscitate, essentially. It means to Allow us to continue to show vitality, to continue to be living, to continue to be functioning. It is is the continuation of a work, not necessarily the resuscitation of a work. And this word "work," there's nothing magical about it. It's 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 just basically work. So Yahweh, whatever your work is, let it continue to go, and let it not be hindered. What about the midst of the years? Now, we have to first establish that midst is not necessarily the middle of a process. The midst is is not the center geographically of a process. Because the years could mean anything. It could mean an annum or an annual thing. It could mean the time from beginning to end of a certain thing which could be less than a year, it could be a year, it could be a number of years. Only God knows the gestational period of a partnership project with him. So this doesn't mean uh, July. It doesn't mean, you know, half of your life even, because nobody knows, only God, how many years each of us have on this earth. You know, I had a friend who passed away when he was uh, in his early fifties. Half of his life was at twenty-six. How would he have known that? How would he have known that at twenty-six? Right now, I am my, the middle of my life. To this point, would be thirty-two to thirty-two years, but. I don't know how many years God has ordained me to live on this earth. Only God knows that. Even if it's three score and ten, that would be thirty-five would be the middle. So if I'm praying in that regard, there's no reason me praying in the midst of the years now because that boat sailed thirty years ago. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? So this term Years means an unpredictable, in man's terms, measure of time. And so the midst is that um, it's something that is central. Now, I'm going to tell you about this word that's translated as midst. And we're going to bring this all together in just a moment. See, if you're one of those Christians that needs to have a, a microwave understanding of everything and quick three points, tell me uh, what God said and how it's going to bless me, you, you, you need to establish a different pursuit of study in the Lord to begin with. But that's not one of these messages, so just hang in there. Midst here is Kereb, and it means the central place, the heart the bowels as it were or the or the central place this is not maa so don't try to connect that the maa which speaks of the bowels speaks about uh, the place of receptivity for creativity and for strength and how you embrace the burden this term kareb signifies what's going on in that place and what is central to what you've embraced in God. Does that make sense? So let's look at the meaning of these words and the first things he says. Yahweh, the one, the dimension of God's name that speaks about his plan and what he's going to do. Let there be a continual vitality, a continual showing forth of the work that is necessary On whatever project, whatever measure of partnership, whatever measure of the journey you have outlined for us, that we have embraced in the very center of who we are. That's what Habakkuk is saying here. So if you just read this in the common vernacular of whatever scripture you're reading, you would think, you know what? We're in the middle of this thing, and uh, boy, I sure could use some help. Oh, man, I'm just about done here. I mean, I remember when we started, and I don't know how much longer it's going to take to get there, but if I ever needed anything, I sure do need it now. That's not what he's saying, even though parts of that expression could apply here. We need to remain alive. We need to continue to live according to what God has given us to be and to do. We need to recognize that we're in the journey with God. We are partnering with him in regard to something or some things. And we may not understand the fullness of how long it's going to take, but we trust the one Who knows? We're just interested in being with him and trusting him. Because in the core of who we are, in the heart, in the bowels, as it were, this is where we have committed ourselves. This is where the, the place of God's spirit within us is interceding and crying out to God for his will to be done crying out from within us that in this tabernacle of flesh, we would achieve for him the reason God's put us on this earth. So, oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. But he doesn't stop there. He then goes on to say, he uses the same word in the midst of the years, he uses that same phrase, "make known." Yada, yada, which is to um, to talk, to express, yada yada, to converse, to speak and to listen, to learn, to share the feelings, the the expressions before God before his throne, but then to be careful to to listen to him and learn from him and not to forget what he has said, but to remember and to to truly be that kind of person who is more interested in what God is saying than the 50 other opinions that are all over the Internet. Now, here's where it gets really um i I like what's coming in wrath remember mercy boy that's another one revive your work in the midst of the years in wrath remember mercy do you realize that they they they're saying the same thing now when we think in wrath remember mercy we We think, oh, God's really ticked off. You know, he's going to let him have it now. When that's happening, be kind, God. Be be really good-natured. Or when, when we've done something and we feel like God is disciplining us and... He is chastening us, and we say, in wrath, remember mercy. (laughs) And that's not what he's saying here at all. I remember when our dear brother Ray Hughes came to minister at our church, and of course, if you know Ray, he loved to tell stories. He he could have been a a top-flight comedian, which he really was funny. He said one day, as a boy, he did something that really irritated his mother. <clears throat> and his mother started chasing him because she was gonna she was gonna spank him. So Ray ran out the front door in this old old house that many of you remember from the fifties. I'm sure there's some places in Appalachia where these houses still are. And he jumped off the porch and then crawled under the porch and under the house. And he figured that his mom couldn't get him there because it was a pier and beam. It was higher. Uh, You know, it was an elevated place. So he saw his dad get home. I guess his dad went in the house and mom told him that Ray had done this or this and that he was hiding under the house and that dad needed to be the heavy and go take him. Take him out of there and discipline him. So Ray's dad comes down and crawls under the porch and under the house and he says, Ray, are you down here? And Ray said, yeah, dad, I'm here. Is mom mad at you too? (laughs) In wrath, remember mercy. That's not what's being talked about here. Wrath simply means this. Commotion, Restlessness, the crash of thunder. It really is a description of the climactic scenarios that go on when we're either being prepared in that secret place of thunder to move in power on behalf of something that God is commissioning for us to partner with Him to accomplish, or it's in the midst of. Uh, opposition to what God has called us to do. And this commotion can be measures of confusion. It can be uh, the clamor of people. It can be, even within our own thinking, I don't know what's going on. It's very uncomfortable. It speaks about a clash of some sort and the commotion that is endemic to that it speaks about the the verve of battle so this isn't God coming down to smite you or to discipline you even though I'm not saying God doesn't do that because if, if you're a son and you're not being chastened from time to time the scripture says you're not really a son it calls you something else these are clean radio waves, so I don't want to pervert them by saying a word that's in the King James. You look it up. It starts with a B. Um, but what in the midst of that, what are you to remember? In wrath, remember mercy. Racham. <clears throat> you know, this is at its root. This speaks about the compassion that is based in the womb. It speaks about the seed of passion, and rechem is uh, is a derivative of that that speaks about the 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 compassion that exists in the bowels or in the womb. I I see this with our little grandson that's recently been born you know he's growing he's you have to watch him all the time uh it it can be exasperating for for the parents and you know he's crying or he's diaper changed or he's he's uh you know gee just what little babies are and only only people who are motivated by uh, love and an understanding of who that little child is and how he came about and what his purpose is, That, that type of burden, the agape as it were, is the greatest of all things. It's the passion generated from that central place. So here you have, look, we just talked about the midst and how that identifies what's going on in this central place. And here you have in mercy, this is not chesed or chesed. This is not that, even though it's translated as mercy. This is talking about that passion, that compassion that springs forth from the place where you are welcoming something to be birthed or the central place of that those that that place that gets stirred by the presence of God. So, do you see this? So many times we just take this verse at face value, and we think in the midst of the years revive, and in wrath remember mercy, and we use those two uh, in ways that. God always uses his word, but not in the tenor of what Habakkuk was really saying. This one who was a seer who embraced the Selah, he says that when we're acting on what God's word, what what God says, um, his speech... And it it causes us to be in a scenario where we recognize, look, this is not phobia, I was afraid, this is not phobia, this is something weird's going on here and I'm not really that comfortable with it. So in uh, Revive, keep alive what your spirit is doing, the vibrancy of it, as we are working for you on behalf of what you have done within us in that central place where we have aligned and partnered with you, or really where your spirit exists. And the only way that is born again is through the blood of Jesus. But we're that place that represents why you put us here on earth to begin with, where that is, um, we're partnering with Whatever it is that you've got us partnering with you to accomplish as intercessors, as saints. And then he says, Um, in the midst of the years, in that, let us understand through commune with you, continued commune with you. In wrath, in the midst of this commotion, in the midst of this conflict, in the midst of this tug of war, as it is, as it were, where, you know, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. When that's going on, let us be well aware of the passion that birthed this partnership. Let us hold fast to that agape. We're not going to abort this child. We're not going to abandon what God has begun because it's in the central place of who he has made us to be. and He's dwelling with us there. It's one thing to have the ma'ah in the Song of Solomon and the lover is coming and you're stirred within That's great, but it's another thing to, because of what that has created, to hold on to the promise. And we go, oh, I wish things were the way they were when I was so stirred initially. (laughs) That's a a prescription for uh, abandoning your family. If you have to be in a honeymoon all the time, you're not going to be very useful. If if you're addicted to that initial phase, and it's very pleasant, you're just going to keep searching for that. And you will abort, abort, abort the purpose of God in your life while you're hurting others. You know, the book of Hebrews says that... um, If you fail in grace, a root of bitterness will spring up and many will be defiled. We want to continue through in grace. So this is what Habakkuk is saying here. And the reason, you know, I think that I felt so strongly to share this today is that we're seeing a lot of things play out in our world in our personal lives and we have to not be moved by what we see but by what we believe. What God in faith has begun in us. In wrath, remember that central place. Remember that that endearing love that has given you the indication of your purpose and has caused you to know God in a way that is beyond soulish or beyond emotional or beyond the physical. It is that core where we know God. It is the spirit within. It is where we're born again. It is where the wells of salvation, the rivers of life flow from. And we make that known. That's commune. How many times has the enemy tried to stop you from praying and spending time with God? If if you're not spending time with God, these things that you know to be true will not be known in your life. Even though you recognize them, even though you understand this principle, to have it functioning in you, won't happen unless you remain in that yada before God. I don't know the timetable of God. I just know that there is one. I know his promise. I may not know how it's going to be fulfilled in a number of ways. But we have to keep moving forward, asking God according to his divine plan, asking Yahweh according to his divine plan, to keep us living in vital, to continue to do the work, and to remember how the work began. How did this Division or measure of time initiate. We don't know the length of it. We don't know the duration. But how did it originate? We certainly should remember that. So keep that alive as we continue to work. And in the midst of that time frame, according to the plan that God has initiated that we're working on, make known to us. Let there be continued fellowship. And in wherever there's commotion, restlessness, the clash of war, the clash of, of any measure of thunder, mercy, racham, what has begun in, in the womb, the seed of our passion, that mother's or father's love that is indomitable. When commotion, restlessness, darkness, gross darkness comes, the way that light is going to shine through you is by in wrath, the clash with that darkness and gross darkness. Remember. What God has promised. In the central place of who you've known Him to be. So that's the word for today. I, I, um, I appreciate. I appreciate Habakkuk. Um, I appreciate what he speaks about because it's, it's such an unusual book and arguably most of the people who um who read it i don't mean this in a demeaning way but they don't understand what in the world he's saying um they um uh, they don't really know what it means some of these terms some of these concepts that we're trying to speak um they. This is why they use these scriptures for other ways, uh, and um, if we do that, we're missing the vitality and the power of what's actually being said. Um, and you know, the the one thing about what Habakkuk says here at the beginning of chapter three is that he he encourages that if people are in the tabernacle, and they are going to consider what he says. He says, "Do it upon the Shigianoth. and this is kind of a strange term. It's kind of a passionate song. It is it is used very often as a romantic type of of tonality, but it it's it's a passionate kind. Of, it evokes passion, and so he's asking for what he's going to say. Or whether he, he may even be singing it. Now it says it's a prayer, but then he uses this mur, um, musical term, and um, so we have to we have to recognize this tepila, the, this type of prayer, is a, a a manifestation of supplication. So essentially, he's saying, "This is a prayer. I'm partnering with you, God, and I I've got to have the right atmosphere." I've got to have I've got to have the the right atmosphere. So I'm suggesting that we play as a minstrel a passionate song because we're talking about the passion of what's going on inside us. Hey, those of you who are intercessors, if you play music, worship songs during your prayer, you know what it's like when if it's just a random outplay, you're feeling something in the Lord and um, a song comes on that is just not going to do it. And you think, oh God, this song is ridiculous. Or, you know, it's talking about something that is not where we are right now. It may be ministering to Aunt Aunt Josephine over in the corner, but for 99% of the people in this place, it ain't cutting it. And so you you think, God, we need a song. If you're if you're interceding, you're in warfare, you want a warfare song on there. If if the Spirit of the Lord is just so sweet and he's just drawing everybody near, you don't need a warfare song on there. You need a song that is is just endearing to the Lord and leads you there. See, we understand this in the natural. You know, back in the day when you would go out on dates if you had music in your car. Um, you would you put on some kind of romantic song or some kind of a song, you know, in the 70s. You put on David Gates and Bread or something like that, you know. it's 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 not mood music when it comes to the Spirit of the Lord, though. And so when David would direct something that was being sent over to Asaph in the tabernacle, he'd say, make sure you... You're playing this, or you're using this kind of instrument. It's not like you're trying to manufacture an atmosphere, but you certainly want whatever the minstrel's playing to be conducive to what the Spirit is sending forth. Too often, we let the music dictate what's going on. And we we run back. There was a woman that used to be here, and every time she was in trouble in her home, she'd go up to the boombox and put on this special song. <laughs> And I think, oh, gosh, you know, this is just as predictable as rain coming out of a thunderstorm. Um, So you don't you don't try to create an atmosphere. But if you know, look, the people have forgotten what brought them to this point. They've forgotten the essence of partnership, what happened there in the central place of their creativity. And they need to have that stimulated. They need to be before the Lord so that they remember what it is they're really doing. And so I suggest I'm playing this on the Shigianoth. And I suggest that anybody else that does it, do that, because this is what God's saying, and you've got to set the atmosphere for it. A lot of times, I most times when I come into the sanctuary, I don't turn any music on. It's not that we don't like music. We've invested money in the ability for people to play it. I enjoy it. It, It's very helpful. But so often, there's no song that can communicate what I'm feeling before the Lord. In fact, some of the songs take me out of the place that I should be in. So it's important for us to recognize the value of, of a certain type of expression musically. But sometimes it's helpful for us to recognize. The most important thing. Is what God is saying. And if, if you. If you're going to waste 30 minutes. Trying to find a song that for, will facilitate that. You'd be better served to just. Wait on the Lord. And. Um, just let your own heart make melody. Before God. He chose that passionate type of song because he was speaking about the passion within us. And we need to make sure, however we do it, that we cherish that. And it's not, oh, I've got to go pray with this person because they always get me stirred up. God's interested in you. God wants you to find him. Once he's partnered with you, he doesn't need a chaperone. And he, he wants you. So remember the point of passion. I could go on. There's a lot of illustrations with this. But I hope you get the picture. I pray that all of us will recognize the moment we're in. Will remember the promises that God has given and the pursuits that we're uh, that we're pers- that we're going after in Him. Um, there's a lot of commotion. There's a lot of things that are like the the violence in the atmosphere, spiritually and in other ways. But in the midst of that. Remember what you are in God, what he is in you, and preserve that partnership and the passion of that partnership. Only you can do that. Only you can initiate that type of thing. Nobody else can do it for you. I began by saying that we've had a false concept of the entire measure of what revival is in this passage. Don't think that other people can bless you, other people can exhort you, other people might be a good example for you, other people might encourage you and provide a spark, but it's up to you to keep that going before you and the Lord. And that's what Habakkuk says here. It's the key to the Selah. And again, of the 74 times that term is used in the Old Testament, most of them are in the Psalms, but Habakkuk is the only other place where it's found. This is the key to what he had learned for moving from promise to fulfillment. However length of time, whatever the years are or the length of time, if you're in the midst of it, the the essence is that you keep in the central measure of who you are, you're understanding that you're partnering with God and you're understanding that you're where you are because you entered into partnership with him. I speak blessing over you. I pray that this study will be of some help. It is a meat a meaty thing from God. But we as saints should be able to receive the meat of the word because it's what we need for where we are. I speak blessing over you. Be encouraged. God is with you. Thanks for joining us today. Till next time, God bless.